Hello, Convention of State podcast listeners. Normally, we reserve this channel for audio versions of our live broadcast, COS Live and the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. But as a bonus, we like to occasionally release some historic legacy audio for your enjoyment. Please welcome Mark Meckler. Good morning. Okay, so uh, it is morning still, right? I've had a couple of cups of coffee. Is everybody awake? Have you had your coffee and everything? All right, so uh, we're going to talk about a subject today that not a lot of people in America know about, and that is that we actually have a way to save our Constitution by using the Constitution. And when I say not a lot of people know about it, sometimes this frustrates me, right? I travel the country, I talk about this, I've been working on this particular project for eight years, and mostly in libertarian circles and conservative circles, just in political circles generally, with people who pay attention to politics, I say we can have a convention of states and people just look at me blankly and they have no idea what I'm talking about. They're complaining, they say the federal government's out of control, it's gotten too big, there's nothing we can do. I say there's something we can do, we can call a convention of states and I just get that blank look. They have no idea what I'm talking about. And then I say, you know, it's in Article 5. And they say, Article 5? in the New York Times, or what, what do you mean Article 5? And I have to explain to him it's in Article 5 of the Constitution. And so I have a little bit of frustration about that, uh, but I also have a lot of hope about that. And the reason it makes me hopeful is, you know, as a business person, and I came to politics as a business person, I, I was not a politician, I've never been a politician, I've always been in business, I'm an entrepreneur. And so as a business person, you want to look at what's the size of my market, right? What is my market potential? And when I look at Convention of States and I realize that probably I would say about 90 to 95% of Americans have no idea what a Convention of States is, we've got an incredible market opportunity. So I'm excited about that. I wanna to talk to you a little bit about what Convention of States is. I assume a lot of you know. How many people, if you guys don't mind helping me out here so I don't cover too much basics, raise your hand if you're familiar with what a Convention of States is. Okay, so that's most of the people in the audience. I'm just gonna briefly blow through that. Article five of the United States Constitution, the second clause of Article five says that we the people acting through our state legislatures have the opportunity anytime we want to call a convention of states for the purpose of proposing amendments to the United States Constitution. I wanna do a little bit of history lesson on this. I want you to understand how that got into the United States Constitution because it's kind of an interesting story. So for me, uh, the date that this happened is really important. It happened on September 15th. Now, I think September 15th is the most important day in American history because it's my wife's birthday. And if I forget that one, I'm in huge trouble. But September 15th, 1787, you've got the guys gathered in convention there in Independence Hall. It's pretty much done. The document's finished. The calligraphy's mostly dry and all the copies of the document. And Colonel George Mason stands up to address the people who are assembled there in Independence Hall. And I'm going to paraphrase, but he says something like this. We've made a terrible mistake. We have drafted a document that gives the power to Congress to propose amendments should they deem them necessary. But we've not given the same power to the people acting through their state legislatures. And then he asks a question, which I think resonates across the ages over 240 years later. He says, are we so naive that we believe that a federal government that becomes a tyranny will ever propose amendments to restrain its own tyranny. Anybody think a federal government that's a tyranny will ever do that? Well, we have no examples in human history of this. Literally never in all of human history has a tyrannical government said this. I think maybe we have too much power and we should give it away. 
That just never happens. And so thank God for Mason. He was prescient. He was looking forward. He said, we need to give the power to the states to do this because they will be the bulwark against tyranny. We have Madison's notes. They're super clear on this. Madison took incredible notes. Other people took notes as well, but Madison's notes are the most clear and the most thorough. Madison's notes at this point in convention reflect only two words. They're Latin and they're abbreviated. They say nin Com. And nincom was Latin short for no comment. In other words, there's no debate. This is extraordinary in and of itself. These guys debated everything. They, they debated literally how to debate. Right? So they debated absolutely everything. They didn't debate this idea that he had proposed that we need to make sure that the states and the people have the authority to propose amendments to the Constitution should they deem them necessary. And we end up getting, by un unanimous vote, the second clause of Article 5 that says we have this power. So here we are 245 years later almost, we haven't exercised this power, and the federal government is tyrannical. Raise your hand if you don't believe the federal government is a tyranny. This is how I look for Marxists, right? So if you raise your hand, then we're gonna escort you out of the room. So the federal government has become tyrannical. It's outgrown the bounds of the Constitution. The Constitution provided a framework to keep the federal government inside the box, the constitutional box, so to speak. And that framework can be briefly described as the enumerated powers. Real simple, it was set forth. This is a, what the federal government is entitled to do. Everything else left to the people and to the states. You guys are all familiar with that. This is literally the most brilliant political document in all of human history. It creates the system of federalism. Federalism, by the way, is the perfect system for where we live in the United States today in time and place. I'll discuss this at the end of my remarks before we go to questions. The country's coming apart at the seams, and federalism is the only system of government designed for a people who can't really get along with each other. So we get Article 5 put into the Constitution. Here we are 245 years later almost, and we haven't used it. Why haven't we called a convention of states? There have been over 400 applications for a convention of states in American history, and we've never had a convention of states. And the reason is, there's a couple of reasons. The biggest reason is, it's really hard. It's really hard to do. It was intended to be really hard to do. The founders said that they didn't want us to be able to get into convention and propose amendments to our Constitution easily, because they wanted amendments to be things where there was wide societal agreement. In a country as big as ours, that means it takes years, it takes millions of people being involved, it takes two-thirds of states, 34 states, to agree to even call a convention. And then once you get into convention, it takes the majority of states to get a proposed amendment out of convention. This is a really important point, a side note. When something comes out of convention, what power does the convention have to impose that on the country? And the answer is none, zero. What comes out of convention is a suggestion. This is a suggesting convention. And the convention makes a suggestion to the states and says, hey, we think you should consider this amendment or this set of amendments. It goes out to the states. It takes 38 states to ratify. 38 states are a super, super majority of the state legislatures have to agree before something becomes an amendment to the United States Constitution. It's important to note that is the highest single bar, the highest bar in the entire system of governance in the United States of America. If you've ever worked in a state legislature, really hard to get a majority on anything. Really hard to get a super majority on anything. And almost nothing requires a three quarters majority in a state legislature. There is nothing in the entire United States system of governance that requires a three quarters of majority of all the state legislatures to agree on something before it becomes law other than amending the United States Constitution. This is literally the highest bar in our entire system of governance, so it's hard. 
literally takes millions of people. It takes an organized effort over many years to make this happen. That's what the Convention of States Project is engaged in. Today, there are over five million supporters of the Convention of States Project. They're in every single state legislative district in America. They're right here in this state. They're in all the states in the area. They're in Maine, they're in New York, they're in California. California, by the way, over, uh, I think now, about 200,000 activists in California. This is now the largest, single largest, activist grassroots organization in the United States of America, and we're just getting started. Today, there are 15 states that have passed this resolution out of the requisite 34. It has to be passed through both houses. There are another eight states where it's passed through one house or another, and a lot more pending. North Carolina, South Carolina, Wisconsin just passed it through their houses. Uh, Wisconsin, it's called the Assembly, and there's a bunch of other states pending right now. Ohio looks really good, Michigan looks really good, Pennsylvania looks pretty good, so there's a lot of momentum. Why is there so much momentum for this right now in our history? Why right now? I would argue the reason right now is because we have tyranny in Washington, D.C. And I'm gonna further define tyranny in Washington, D.C. We actually have Marxism in America. We literally have Marxism in the United States of America. Mark Levin just wrote a new book, just came out. I'm about 50 pages into it. I haven't read the whole thing. It's called American Marxism. And when you look at the book and you start to read the book, one of the things that Mark starts with in this book is he says, I've been warning you about this for 10 or 12 years now, and now I'm gonna stop warning you about it, I'm gonna tell you it's here. And when he titled the book American Marxism, it wasn't because it was a warning, he's saying that's our system of governance now. That we actually live in a Marxist country. And if that sounds radical to you, if it sounds out of control to you, if that sounds like hyperbole, let me just tell you, I'm dead serious. We live in a Marxist country. We live in a country where Marxist ideology at the core has permeated our whole system. It's through our educational system, it's through our entertainment system, it's through the culture, it's through our political system. The people in the White House are Marxists. These are people who grew up studying Marxism. We saw the BLM Antifa riots, the founders of BLM are avowed Marxists. It's in our country, it's here, it's among us, it's with us, and we have to acknowledge it. So one of the tools that we have to fight this is to call a convention of states. It's really important. One of the reasons I'm doing this and I'm organizing this, I come out of the Tea Party movement. That was my first introduction to politics. I helped organize the Tea Party Patriots who became the largest Tea Party organization in America. 23 million members flipped Congress in 2010. That was incredible. Total flip of Congress in 2010. Largest flip in the United States of America since 1938. And when that happened, I was absolutely sure, I was 100% sure that everything was going to change, right? That the politicians respond to the stimulus. I was taught this in eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, all through college, that if you support the right people, if you elect the right people, if you put the right people in Washington, D.C., then you get the policies that they said they would run on. And in 2010, we elect this incredible wave class, and then, that's right. That's what happened. That silence. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. It was stunning. It was incredible. For me, it was literally took my breath away and not in a positive way. I had dedicated my life. I had given up my career as a lawyer. I had spent all my personal money to help this happen. Literally, I got to the point where my wife and I were broke, and then we were victorious, and from that victory, nothing. Extraordinary. What the powers that be told us, what the politicians told us, what the consultants told us, what the smart people told us was, well, the reason nothing happened, the reason you didn't get what you expected is because you don't have the Senate. And if only the Republicans would win the Senate, right? 
the glorious promise of the Republicans controlling both houses of the legislature. And so what happened is a lot of folks went to work and the Republicans won the Senate in 2012. And then everything changed. Yeah, right, nothing changed. Nothing changed, it was incredible. And then so for me, it was like, well, what do I do? Do I do politics anymore? Because it seems like everything that I know, everything I've ever been taught, everything I've learned about politics, what I believe about our system and how it works or how it was designed to work is wrong. That's what I found out. And so I was getting ready to leave politics and I had a good friend come to me and say, don't leave, we need to figure this out. We have a structural problem, we have a systemic problem. And as a business person, you look at a system. Anybody here in the room is an entrepreneur, owns a business, has owned businesses, I bet there's a lot. You know what I'm about to say is just fundamentally true. You can put all the good people you want into a bad system, what do you get? Bad results, right? If the system's broken, you get a bad result. It doesn't matter how much money you pour into it. It doesn't matter how many good people you pour into it. It doesn't matter how many great ideas you have, how pure your heart is or your intent. If you put good stuff into a bad system, you get a bad result. Computer programmers would say garbage in, garbage out, right? So this is the opposite. You've got a garbage system, you put good stuff in, you're gonna get garbage out the backside. We have broken our system of constitutional government in the United States of America. We've done this throughout our history, but really primarily over the last 115 years or so. And what we have done is we have taken the power pyramid in the United States of America, the top of the power pyramid was supposed to be the individual, and then the states, right? And then the federal government, and we flipped that upside down. All the power is in the federal government. Let's talk a little bit specifically about how some of that has happened. If you look at the history of the federal government, there's something that fundamentally changed our structure of federal government and the powers that were granted to the federal government that started really in force in the 1930s. In the 1930s, I think it's 31, there's a Supreme Court case called Wickard v. Filburn. In Wickard v. Filburn, there is a farmer in Ohio and he's growing wheat for his own consumption, for his family's consumption. There are production quotas that have been put in place by the administration saying how much wheat you're allowed to grow. And he grows more than the allowed amount of wheat. And he's prosecuted for this and he's fined for this. And he says, you can't do that to me. This is my land. These are my crops. This is my labor. I'm not selling it. I'm not producing it for anybody else. I'm not engaged in anything that you can regulate. And the federal government said, here's the thing. If you had not grown wheat for your own consumption, then you would have bought wheat on the open market, right? And he said, well, yeah, of course. And they said, so by growing your own wheat, you have now affected interstate commerce because you haven't bought wheat on the, own, on the open market, right? So let me just translate that for you because it's as crazy as it sounds. The government's argument was, you've done nothing, so you've done something so we can regulate you. That seems crazy, doesn't it? I mean, to me, that sounds crazy. And the Supreme Court said, yes, that is correct. If you do nothing, you have thus done something and you may be regulated. And this is where the Interstate Commerce Clause goes insane and gives the federal, federal government the power to regulate pretty much everything. About 40% of all federal government authority to run departments comes from this weird interpretation and a series of cases that come after that that gives them the authority to regulate pretty much anything they want to. So if you wanna look at sort of administrative agencies that have what are called, what's called Commerce Clause power, you go, 
USDA, FDA, EPA, DEA, all of these organizations, Department of Education, Department of Health, all of these things have Commerce Clause authority, meaning they have no constitutional authority. It's not in the Constitution. Department of Education, Thomas Jefferson was asked by William Henry Lee, one of his best friends in, the letter, in a letter, why don't you get money for University of Virginia that he was founding up, why don't you get money from the federal government to found up University of Virginia? Jefferson was the greatest proponent of public education probably in American history, and he said, well, you can't do that. It would be unconstitutional. Federal government doesn't have the authority to spend any money on education. You would need an education amendment. Can anybody tell me which amendment to the United States Constitution is the education amendment? I've been looking for it since I went to law school. I can't find it. I can tell you the Supreme Court just did it. They did it through the Commerce Clause. So the Education Department exists because of, quote unquote, alleged Commerce Clause authority. So how do we fix this stuff, right? This has been done by our judiciary. It hasn't been done legislatively. We can't just legislatively remove that power. The Supreme Court has said the federal government has that power. Well, the founders told us how. They said, if you have this problem, if the federal government overreaches its boundaries, call a convention, propose amendments, and slap them down. Put your hands around the throat of the federal government, grab it forcefully, and shove it back in the constitutional box. That's what the founders told us. They gave us this power. Today, really, the only question is, do we have the spine to act on that power? I will tell you there are people in this country that don't. I'll be blunt about this. I'll tell you the people who don't, the people who oppose this today, and there are some in the libertarian movement who oppose this. There are some conservatives who oppose this. I would argue they're on the fridge. I'm just, I'm gonna be blunt with you about those folks. Today, they are in league with the Marxists. They are. When I walked in the hall today, somebody handed me a card from the John Birch Society against this idea of using Article 5. And I asked them, do you understand that you're in bed with George Soros? Like, I'm not making this up, all right? Every single nationally known thinker that's on the right or the libertarian side of things that has commented on this is in favor. You know who's against it? I'll give you the list because they gave us the list. They signed a press release against it. Common Cause, Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, those are George Soros's main two policy organizations. They organized a coalition on the radical left in America. Over 250 organizations have signed onto this against Convention of States. This is super important that you understand this. That, that group of people, it's everybody on the radical left that hates America, that hates liberty, that hates freedom. It's moveon.org, it's Daily Cause, it's every public employee union in America, it's Code Pink, it's La Raza, it's all these organizations that profess Marxism and their hatred for the United States of America. And in this hall today, we have people who are promoting Marxism, who are promoting those organizations who say that they're opposed to Convention of States. They are either in league with Soros and all these leftist organizations, I'm not saying there are, that seems like crazy conspiracy theory, or they are willing dupes. They are useful idiots for the radical left in America. I'm gonna speak bluntly about that. I'm very intolerant of this, we're in a war. 
We can't afford useful idiots who are supposed to be on our side, who are supposed to believe in freedom and liberty and the Constitution and the fundamental values of the country working with the radical left. I go into legislatures and I actually see the John Birch Society working with the radical leftist organizations. I have emails saying from the most radical, horrible, incredible Marxist leftist organization saying the John Birch Society are our friends. It's crazy that we're in this place. We are in a war, ladies and gentlemen. We're in a war for not the heart and soul of America. We're in a war for this country, period. The reason this is so important to me, the reason I care so much about this, is that history flows like a pendulum. It flows back and forth, and you can look at the span of human history. All of recorded history, it goes like this. On one end of that spectrum, the pendulum swings, and on this end, you have tyranny, and on this end, really bad tyranny. That's it. Like, we think, oh, well, we'll go back and forth, tyranny, liberty, tyranny, liberty. That doesn't happen. That's not human history. This country is an aberration. It's not obvious. It has no right to exist in the scope of human history. It exists because men and women like you have been willing to stand during difficult times and fight the fight that's necessary. This is part of the fight that is necessary today. This is the tool that the founders gave us for this moment. They gave us this ability to use the Constitution to save the Constitution. And to those who are opposed to this, I will bluntly say, you are cowards. You're cowards because what you say is, oh, I'm afraid we might have a runaway convention. Oh, I'm afraid of what might happen. Oh, I'm afraid the left is too powerful. They organize too well. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Thank God that you didn't rule the day during the American Revolution. Thank God that men and women who were afraid didn't, call, didn't hold the day. I have no time for those people. Sam Adams said of those people during the American Revolution, may your chains rest lightly upon you. May you lick the hands that encourage your bondage, and may you go from us. We need neither your help nor your arms, and may posterity forget that you were our countrymen. That's my message to the people who are opposed to Convention of States today. Go away. We'll save the country without you. We're okay with that. We don't need you. And in the end, we will save the country, and when we do... You can thank us, but we don't care whether you do or not because we're going to save the country for everybody. And if we don't save this country, we will plunge this world into a thousand years of darkness. I believe we sit at the precipice of something incredible. We're riding a razor's edge right now between one of two things. We are either going to fall into tyranny and darkness. Reagan called it the first step into a thousand years of darkness. Or we are headed into the greatest renaissance that mankind has ever known. The technology, the medicine, the knowledge. In our pockets, we all carry the entire compendium of human knowledge on a device that fits in our palm. This is an incredible time, not just American history, in world history. We can communicate with each other around the globe at a moment's notice. We can organize like never before. But the flip side of that is they can watch us doing it. Our overlords, social media overlords, the government, they can surveil us. You realize you're carrying around in your pocket a surveillance device, right? If they want to, they know where you are every moment of every day. You think you're turning your phone off and they don't know where you are, right? You think you turn the microphone off and they can't listen to you. Look, we all know better. I'm not being paranoid, I'm just being realistic. We're talking about the most powerful spy agencies in the history of the world. We face real threats and the question is, are we going to stand and are we going to fight against these real threats? 
I'm going to close with this and then I want to go to Q&A because I think that's the most important part. What you guys have to say, what your questions are, that's the most important part. There are microphones here up at the front of the room. You guys are welcome to line up and ask questions. And by the way, no question off limits. It can be hostile questions, it can be probing questions. I'm good with any questions you guys want to ask. I'm always good with that. In fact, I like the probing hostile questions up front. So here's the last thing that I want to say. I hear all this talk about runaway convention. Fear, 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 right? Runaway convention. There's a couple things I want to say about that. Number one, nice to see you, Leah. Number one is uh, people will say, and you will hear this over and over, the 1787 was a runaway convention. The greatest slander ever perpetrated against the American founders. It is so offensive to me, I'll spend the rest of my days proving unequivocally, because it's absolutely false, that that is a lie and a slander on the founders. When we look back at the American Revolution, I hear this all the time, you look at the founders, those men were so smart, and we'll hear this from the same people who say 1787 was a runaway convention. Those people were so smart, they were so honorable, they were so honest, they were so incredible, they were such great people. Oh, and by the way, they ignored what they were supposed to do at the 1787 convention and did whatever the hell they wanted. They just literally turned to the people back at home and just you know, gave them the gesture, whatever the gesture was back then, and did whatever they wanted. That's a lie. And I will challenge anybody who says that lie to tell me that you've read the commissions of all the delegates to the 1787 convention and then tell me what their authority is, because I can tell you what their authority is, because I've read all those commissions that says they have any and all authority necessary to render the federal constitution adequate for the exigencies of the union. Is there any limitation in any and all authority necessary? No, there's not. Actually, two delegations didn't have that authority, and both of those delegations went home without voting on the Constitution. They didn't have the authority. Everybody else had all the authority and the idea that George Washington would have sat on the dais. I've been there at Independence Hall. I've recorded, filmed in Independence Hall after hours. I've looked at George Washington's chair. I've imagined the indispensable man sitting in that chair. And I try to imagine him saying, I don't really care about honor. I don't really care what I was sent to do. I don't really care what my limitation, I'm gonna do whatever the hell I want. That was not George Washington. He was the ins indispensable man in American history. So let's just erase that 1787 runaway from our lexicon, because it's a lie and a slander on the founders. Second, I will challenge anybody to do this. Nobody's ever done this. I've said this to millions of people. I've been at Hannity, Levin, Beck, Limbaugh, Shapiro, you name it, all these radio shows. I give out my personal email address, mmeckler at cosaction.com. If you're a libertarian, if you're a conservative, and you're worried about an amendment that might pass, send it to me. Tell me what it is, and then list the 38 states that will pass it. I've made that offer for eight years straight. I've not received an email. Not an email. Not even an email from a crazy person. Not an email. Because you cannot do it. The one that I hear most often is they say, Mark, Second Amendment. I'm a big Second Amendment person. By the way, my son's a Marine. My mom was a cop. We love guns. We build guns. We're Second Amendment folks. We're going to lose the Second Amendment. Chuck Cooper, the longest-term litigator for the NRA, says that's an offensive statement. And he's on my legal advisory board. We're going to lose our Second Amendment. Do you know that there are 24 states where you can carry your handgun in the Capitol? I believe there's now 14 or 15 states where you can carry a long gun across your back and sit in the gallery and watch the proceedings. North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, the Dakotas, Wyoming, West Virginia. You tell me you're going to go into one of those states, you're going to have an amendment that came out of convention, and you're going to go into one of those states and you're going to ask them to ratify that amendment? If you think that's a legitimate idea, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. I've been in all those legislatures. 
If you're going to go into one of those legislatures, you're going to make that suggestion. I hope you're carrying a weapon. <laughs> you're going to get chased out by a bunch of armed legislators. That's for sure. So I'll close with this. There is no risk of a runaway convention. And if you think there is, I'm just going to ask you to measure the risk. Balance the risk. You're rational people. You're thinking people. The White House is controlled by Marxists. The the Senate is controlled by Marxists. The House is controlled by Marxists. Your universities are controlled by Marxists. Your media is controlled by Marxists. Your culture is dominated by Marxists. Where's the risk? The risk is we don't do this. We don't do everything it takes to save the nation. That is the risk, that we stand by and do nothing while the Marxists destroy our country. Convention of states is not a risk. Doing nothing is the risk. So I ask you, get involved. Go to conventionofstates.com. Sign up. Be a patriot. All right, let's do questions. Let's go here first. So if there's no risk, then why did you put limitations on the enabling and educate uh, uh, the, the three basic limitations in, in the laws that you're so as opposed So as opposed to doing a general convention. Correct. Yeah. So the reason is for narrative. In other words, if I were to say, if we were to put out there to the world that, hey, we're just going to have a convention, we have no idea what's going to talk, what we're going to talk about at this convention, then frankly, nobody would support it because there'd be so much fear out there. Everybody would be afraid that we had to frame it in a way. I mean, this is one of the things that I think, I'm just going to say this generally, libertarians and conservatives are really bad at narrative. We just generally don't understand narrative. And if you don't frame a political discussion in the correct way, you lose. There's a really wonderful political scientist, I highly recommend him, his name's Eric Schottschneider, from way back when, I think he wrote in the 60s, and he said, he who defines what the fight is about wins the fight. So the ultimate question is how you frame your narrative. Because what we tend to do as conservatives or libertarians, we walk onto the battlefield, the narrative's been framed for us, and then we fight that narrative. One of the best examples is, no, I'm not a racist. Right now, you've lost that fight. You don't ever want to have that fight. You don't buy somebody else's premise. So we set these up in a way that we did our polling. We did our focus groups. We know what the American people care about. They care about fiscal restraints on the federal government. They care about term limits on the federal government. They care about scope and jurisdiction overreach to the federal government. And so that's why we couched it that way. It's not because we feared some kind of runaway convention. It's because we understand how the political process works. We understand narrative and we understand framing. Let's go over here. Do you have lists of proposed amendments? So there are no proposed amendments. This is being proposed as what we call a subject matter convention. And so what that means is there are three areas of subject matter for discussion and convention. Number one is anything that would impose fiscal restraints on the federal government. So that would include things like a balanced budget amendment, limitations on taxes and spending. One of my favorites, imposing generally accepted accounting principles on the federal government. They don't have accounting principles. They account however they want. Uh, so that's number one. Number two is anything that would impose term limits on federal officials. So term limits on federal officials could include term limits on Congress, of course, but also on staffers and bureaucrats, which I think is equally maybe more important. And the third thing is anything that would impose scope or jurisdictional restraints on the federal government. So specifically, that could include things like saying you may not be involved in education, you may not be involved in energy, you may not be involved in the environment. Those are the types of amendments that could be drafted. And the reason we did subject matter as opposed to going with specific amendments is we studied the history of Article 5. We know there's been over 400 proposed Article 5 applications submitted to Congress. And what we know is we've never seen 34 of them at what's called aggregate. You have to have 34 that are on the same subject matter. 
And so we knew that if we propose specifics, what happens is, let's say I propose a balanced budget amendment. I'm not that smart, so I couldn't craft it myself. But let's say I proposed a particular one, and let's say you're in favor of a balanced budget amendment, and you look at mine and you think, oh man, Mark missed all the important stuff. Like he's just stupid. We need a balanced budget amendment, but I'm, I'm in favor, but I'm not in favor of that one. So what happens is if you propose specific amendments, it's really hard to get the critical mass that you need to get to convention because people will argue about the minutia of the amendments and the amending convention is intended to be a deliberative convention. So we have subject matter areas and then you get to the specifics once you get to convention. Over here. Yeah, um, if you wanted to get things started in your state, well, what would be the process? Like, would you go to your state legislature? Uh, how, how would they get the whole thing kicked So it's actually going in all 50 states right now. So what you would do is you go to conventionofstates.com. First thing you do is sign the petition and that'll send a message to your state legislator saying you're in support. That's important. We have over 2 million people have done that so far. It'll go to your state legislator and then you click on the take action tab and that'll take you to the leadership stuff in your state. And if you want to volunteer, you click what you're interested in doing, pretty much something for everybody. And then the state leadership will contact you and they'll get you involved. Leah, nice to see you again. Appreciate Thank it. You, Mark. Uh, that was a very nice, nasty smear of the John Birch Society that you tried to do there. It's just the reality, Leah. Not nasty. Re reality is not nasty. Reality is just reality. So I am a field coordinator with the John Birch Society, and we have been one of the greatest defenders of the Constitution for over 60 years. What we have said is that we don't need to change the Constitution because none of the amendments are being abided by right now. That's not correct. The power of federalism that you mentioned has been available to us since day one. What we're saying is don't try to fix something that's not being abided by anyhow. No matter what amendment you come up with, they're not going to listen to it. What we've said is that, thank you, what we've said is that's that... It's good that you have a fan. What we've said is that the, um, the system already exists of federalism. Nullification is the solution. Your solution is going to take a minimum of 10 years, which our country may not survive. Nullification needs to be applied right now. The states have the power right now to tell the federal government, you do not have the authority, you've never had the authority and we will no longer abide by it and we will no longer uh, help you and aid you in un unconstitutional mandates and acts. That's what we're saying. So don't smear us with the left. We are defending the Constitution and trying to get people to apply the Constitution right now. Abide by the Constitution. Don't amend it because changing it is not going to get them to listen to it or suddenly apply it as the amendments right now are not being respected. Okay, so let's engage here if you're willing. Sure. Let's, yeah, let's go back and forth because I want to give you as much time as you want. I think this is super important to me, by the way. We should engage like this. Like, this is really important stuff. We should never, but the, the left silences. Without smearing, please. Okay, so I, I'm not going to allow you to use the premise that anything I said was a smear. I'm going to give you the opportunity to distinguish what I said and tell me why it's untrue, if that's fair. Okay, I'll give you full. Society is not uh, working with the left? Uh, that's what you said. Uh, actually, we've got a bunch of witnesses here. I specifically said, I'm not saying that they're working with these people. I said, that sounds crazy. That's actually what I said. What I said is, you have the same position that they do. I can read your materials, and I can show you materials from Common Cause, Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, Code Pink, MoveOn.org, La Raza, and your materials say the same thing. I can show you, literally, emails from legislators in Montana, the first time I ever, I ever testified in Montana, saying the John Birch Society are our friends, go easy on them in the legislature. So what I said is, 
you are perfectly aligned with their position on this issue. That's factual, and you can't distinguish that. If you can, I'd love to know how your position on Convention of States is different from all these radical leftist organizations. If you can make that distinguishment, I'm happy to promote that. I can give you a list, a list of leftist organizations that are vying for a constitutional convention. They would love for that door to be opened so that they can be there at their convention to destroy our constitution. Okay, so you actually, here, here's, I'm going to tell you what you can show me. You can show me a list of leftist organizations that have proposed calling a constitutional convention or as I would call it more accurately legally, an Article 5 convention, a convention for proposing amendments, on a variety of issues that do not fall under our call. That is factual. So I want to be clear, she's partially, and this, this is what people do, they, they use partial truths to create myths. So the truth is there are leftist organizations that have said we should use Article 5 to call a convention, for example, to overturn Citizens United. I think it's a great free speech decision. I think that would be terrible. That's not available under our convention. What you cannot do, and what you're trying to conflate, is you cannot demonstrate a single, and I would challenge you, go, go to your seat now, use your phone, use your iPad, show me a single leftist organization that has endorsed the Convention of States Project. You can't do it because they don't, because every single one of them signed a press release against us. So when you say they support what we're doing, that's actually a lie, it's a misrepresentation, Leah. Yes, what you're doing is saying conventions of the states is different than an Article 5 convention. No, I'm not. I'm saying convention of states is an Article 5 convention. What you're saying is that your convention will be controlled for your rules and that the lefts will not have any opportunity. The to left opposes it. They spend millions of dollars a year yes, opposing because it. because they want a convention where they can promote their issues. That's correct. So I have to ask you, who will the delegates be sent from California or from New York? Will they be there for the Hold on, we'll go there. I'll answer that question for you. But we have to finish this subject because what you're doing now is you're, you're evading. So the reality is you cannot promote, you can't point to, even though you alleged it, you can't point to a single group in the entire United States of America, give you all the time you want on your computer, use your phone, that supports Convention of States. Can you do that? Can you show a single leftist group that's... Convention of States can and you Article 5 Convention are the same. Our organ that is not correct. Article 5 That is not correct. Convention. You're saying that if you do it your way, it's according to your rules. The left isn't going to abide by your rules. And if you think the left is not going to be in there in the convention fighting to change the rules, you're being nice. Okay, so we're going to extend your logic to the entire political process in the United States of America. Because calling a convention is just a political process, right? Would you agree with that? It's in our Constitution, Correct. right? Lots of things in our Constitution. For example, in the Constitution, it says that we have the right to vote. Correct? We have a right to a Republican form of government. Correct? Would you agree with that? Does the left vote? Does the left vote? Yeah, do they vote? Obviously. Do they put up candidates? Obviously. Do they engage in the process? Obviously. Do we engage in the same process? Yes. Do we say you shouldn't engage in the process because the left engages in that process and therefore the process is suspect and you can't, you, you shouldn't vote, you shouldn't put up candidates because the left might win. The left does all that stuff. No, of course we don't. Article 5 is a process in the Constitution. The left can use it, although they've been entirely unsuccessful. They have no initiatives moving forward that are leftist initiatives under Article 5, literally zero. They're not passing states. They don't have any organized movement to do it. They don't have the momentum in the country to do it. The country is still basically a center-right country. They can't get it done. And they're not in support of what we're doing. They're openly opposed. So what you're doing is you're projecting. You're saying, oh, the leftists are going to take over. The leftists are saying, we can't take over. We hate this thing. We're terrified of this thing. We're spending millions of dollars to stop this thing. 
250 leftist organizations signed a press release against this thing, and you're saying, oh, don't, don't pay attention to all that stuff because we're scared. Or the John Birch Society, we know we're scared and you should be scared too. Mark Reckler, what I'm saying is I'm Leah Southwell, who lived in Chile, who just went through a communist revolution where there was a call for a new constitution. This is not Chile. We're talking about, you can't answer, Leah, you can't answer, you can't answer anything that I'm saying. And so we're going to move on because all you're doing is obfuscating and changing the subject. So God bless you. I appreciate you being here. Thank you guys for being here. And we're just about out of time, so I've got to wrap up. I'll do one more quick question over here, and then I'll wrap up for you. Okay, Mark. <laughs> you may not like my question. I love your question already. I think the problem is that um, we're getting sidetracked with all of this. Name-calling, all of that is not an intellectual argument, which is what you've been doing. What's the what name-calling? Okay, What's the name-calling? specific. Yeah. When I was testifying against the Article 5, because I have concerns of who's going to show up, and I did listen to four hours of one of your mock conventions. Do you have a question? We're, we got I'm out of time. We've got to do a question. I know you don't want to hear this. I'm retired military, by the way, and I do care about the Constitution. God bless you for your service. Yeah. I appreciate but my son's a Marine. During that, you said everybody who opposed this was, again, was uh, and it's on record, was um, pro-abortion. Now, I represent... A I never said that. Okay, well, people can look that up. I never said everybody who opposed... I didn't say it. Look. I had to answer it. You yes, have a question. I do have a question. What's your question? Okay, my question is, how Congress actually believes that they can either call a convention of states with legislators or a convention based, um, without legislators. So... Who is going to be at this convention? We just every state chooses their own. Every state chooses their own. Violated their own law. I, I'm trying to answer your question. They I apologize. I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm out of time. Law. I got a big red flashing they sign. Their own law. You're asking what me. What makes you think they won't have special interest money and they won't violate the laws during a convention? Thank you. It takes 38 states to ratify anything that comes out of convention. You can either do math or you can't. I do challenge you, show election. me. I last election. I challenge you to show me the 38 states that will ratify something that you don't like. Please feel free. I've given you my, I've given you my personal email address. I can't be any more open than that. I'm happy to chat with you personally. If you can do it, do it. Just stand up, stand for your convictions, send me the amendment, and send me the 38 states that will ratify. Ladies and gentlemen, it's fear versus courage. I encourage you to have courage, to be in the fight, to be a patriot. God bless you guys. Go to conventionofstates.com. Visit us at our booth. Thank you very much. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.